You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. If gold takes out that 1785, we're going to go test 1500, maybe even pierce it a little bit. But that's going to be your opportunity. And I assure you, mark my words, when we get there, nobody's going to want gold. They're going to be all panicky. Oh, gold's going to go lower. Oh, they're going to be scared. But that's going to be your opportunity. And I think it's going to be your best opportunity that you've had since 1999. But I will give your audience one tip here. And I told it to my members too. Silver gets to 18. Load up all you can. And I don't mean, you know, the paper stuff like SLV. If you want to trade it like that too. But I mean, really take some real physical on any tag of 18 or, or slightly lower. That's your, your opportunity to really get into silver. I'm Bill Powers. It's Mining Stock Education. And joining me today for an update on the markets uh, from a trader's perspective, joins me is Nick Santiago, my friend over at InTheMoneyStocks.com. Nick has uh, over three decades of experience looking at these markets, not only as a trader, but also as a private investor and broker. So Nick, welcome back on to the program. Now, when we spoke before Biden was inaugurated, you were expecting a steep sell-off upon his inauguration. That didn't occur. And then you turned and got bullish and admitted that wrong call. But now the general equities are starting to look like they're rolling over a little. Are you kind of sensing that what you thought would happen 18 months ago is beginning to happen right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, um, the first year with the the Biden presidency, the markets were up. You had a lot of Federal uh, Reserve stimulus going on, quantitative easing. They were buying $120 billion a month worth of uh, treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. That's over now. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I honestly, March of 2021, I was expecting the market to really crater. It didn't. Um, the market reversed up. That actually happened uh, despite the Archego hedge fund blow up, which was a big, highly leveraged hedge fund that blew up. And I knew right then and there, I said, well, something's wrong here. They're, they're pumping a lot of money in the system. And, and thankfully, I used charts and um, the chart saved me, you know, so um, made some money uh, last year anyway. And, uh, you know, this year, you're starting to see the effects of, of the Biden policies. I mean, when we talked about when he got elected, how it would be a disaster, there's been nothing but a disaster. But this is a trader's market. You have to be bullish. I was very bearish. Um, in fact, I, anybody that is a member of mine knows I told them uh, in around November 20th to 25th, we would expect the NASDAQ to top out. It did that. And then I said the S&P will top out the first trading day of the year. And it did that. So um, you know, we made a very good score on the, on the first quarter down move. Now we're in this period where you know bear markets just don't go straight down, and that's the misconception that people have sometimes. I've been through, you know, <clears throat> really three bears now, three big bears, two thousand, two thousand and eight, and and this one. So you know, some of my best. Well, trade what about March of twenty twenty? Don't forget the bear market of March of twenty twenty, Nick. Oh, I, I, <laughs> and I made a killing, right? I, hmm. I I mean, I I caught that virtually to the day, and I caught it to the bottom. There's not a lot of people in the business that can ever do that or will ever do that once in their lifetime. I do it pretty accurately and consistently. So again, you know, it's not an easy business. I don't want to make it sound like this is easy. This is a humbling business. And, and again, sometimes you're humbled. I remember even in the March uh, 2020 decline, I bought uh, Southwest Airlines and it even went a lot lower. And I had to average in and buy it down. And I still winded up making money. But at one point, I was down 40% on that trade. 
So, you know, this is this is not easy when you get these bear markets are tough. You know, you got to remember bull markets make everybody look like they're a genius, right? People were buying SPACs. I had a nephew of mine, 22, 23 years old, buying an NFT, bought for five grand. He made $35,000. When I saw that and he texted me that, I said, that's it. The pop is in. And you know when that date was? That date was the first trading day of the new year. And look at how that was just picture perfect, right? So, you know, I mean, I, I try to tell everybody these bear markets, they're not easy, but you're going to get bounces. I think the last time I was on the program, I said, don't get bearish now. We're down so much, you know, and sure enough, markets put a little bit of a low in on March 20th. They're having a nice counter trend rally and they're trying to move up a little bit further. But again, it's a trader's market. If you're not a technician in this market, I would be sitting on the sidelines and everything we said or I talked about on your program prior to uh, Biden taking office has really come true. All of it, right? Uh, economic policy is just an absolute disaster. Inflation is through the roof. Uh, energy prices are through the roof and there's no sign of it stopping. And that's the thing that people need to uh, focus on at this stage of the game. There's been no policy implemented that things are going to change. So, you know, you trade the counter trend rallies if you're, if you're savvy. If you're not, sit out. Just sit on the sidelines. There's nothing wrong with that. Nick, you referenced the Federal Reserve. Do you think that they're going to focus on fighting inflation and bringing inflation down rather than propping up the stock market? Well, let me just give you a, a, a quick little history there. Every trader that's been in this business as long as I have knows that the Fed, the Fed funds rate, which is the overnight bank lending rate to the big banks, the giant banks, JP Morgan, Citigroup, big banks. They, the Fed funds rate should track the two-year treasury note. That's, that's around two and three quarters percent. So these guys are way behind the curve. They got to get there. Until they can get there, nothing really changes. So you know, in reality, you probably don't even need a Federal Reserve if you just let the overnight bank lending rate track the two-year note. But you know, again, uh, I've been in this business a little bit too long, I guess. You know, maybe, maybe people are telling me things should be different this time around. But that's how it works. And you know, you don't have to make this 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 business difficult. You could just simplify everything. So, in my opinion, they're way behind the curve. They have a lot of catching up to do. And now, you know, they're going to raise rates this next meeting by uh, 50 basis points. They're going to raise and and they're still 100 basis points away from even getting close. So, again, they they have more to do and and that's not going to end anytime soon. Um, and, and a lot of times the Fed, when they raise rates, they'll overshoot and then they'll go too far. How many times have we seen that? I remember, you know, with so many examples of that happening. So, again, um, you know, in, in my opinion, the, the central bank, they're there and, and they, they're supposed to put liquidity into the system when needed. But now they have other mandates, right? They have now an inflation mandate that they have to control. They have a mandate for jobs that they have to control. I mean, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous, you know, at this stage of the game. And their credibility has been absolutely shot. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I mean, we could go into it further. I, I could tell you a lot of things about them. But, you know, we'll leave it at that. This is where we are at this stage of the game. And, and that's really what matters. Let's talk energy. On an anecdotal level, about two weeks ago, gas was about four bucks or so in Michigan. I filled up for 525 yesterday and I felt like I was being robbed. I even told my kids when I was pulling up to the gas station, man, I feel like I'm doing a self-inflicted robbery here with how high gas is. But when I pull up to the pump, I always pay attention to how much gas the person before me put in. 
And Nick, I saw someone put in $4 worth of gas, which isn't even a gallon. Uh, I've pulled up and I've seen $10 worth of gas. We know that can't fill off, fill up a tank. So just on an anecdotal level, to me, that speaks of demand destruction because I driving my kids around to so many events yesterday, multiple baseball games and such, I spent $80 in gas. And I said to my wife, I said, eventually this is going to cause demand destruction from me. And I'm going to say, I'm not going to spend $80 a day in gas. So what are you seeing on the oil front? Well, <clears throat> to be honest, um, the trend is up and the trend is your friend until the end. So oil topped out a little while ago at around $130 a barrel. Then it pulled back down a little bit. Now it's back to $120 a barrel. Nothing has changed. The Russian-Ukraine war continues to go on. You have um, OPEC really not uh, putting out more production. And there's no policy in the United States to create more energy that we need. Now, there's policy to create windmills. There's policy to create uh, solar panels or get them in here by removing Chinese tariffs, but there's no policy to drill. And these oil companies have no incentive to drill because why would they if they're just going to get shut down or their permits are going to be rejected? It's the red tape is, is, is not going to change. And, and honestly, I, I don't see it changing. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe somebody could talk some sense into this guy. I don't know. But they're so, the policies, the U.S. policies are so bad. And I think they're bad on purpose. I think this is what they want. And we talked about this, you know, over a year ago. I said, this is what they're going to do. This is exactly what they want to do. They want to shut down fossil fuels, if you even want to call fossil fuels. You know, they're just taking away sustainable, efficient energy and trying to replace it with unsustainable, inefficient energy. And, and that's not going to change. So- so if, if high think, prices are, are meant to drive people to the so-called green energies, we don't even have the infrastructure. We don't even have the vehicles and mass. We don't even have what's needed for everybody to transition over to that. So, you know, that doesn't even make sense to me, among many things that don't make sense on the U.S. policy energy front. Uh, right. And, and that's exactly correct. And you can make a case, too, that electric vehicles aren't even energy or, or green friendly. They're not even green friendly. Just, just look at how tough it is to make one of those batteries. Just go ahead and let somebody, I won't even tell them what it, what it entails. Just go ahead and do your own research and find out what it, make, what it takes to make one lithium battery. And you'll see that it really is not ecologically uh, a viable energy source. I mean, then you have, uh, you have to plug it into a wall or you have to find a charging station and plug it in for 30 minutes to get some more miles. It's just not practical at this time. And we talked about this over a year ago. And I said, when you make that great shift over to a new type of horse and buggy to the car, you have to do it where it's efficient. It has to happen organically. It can't be forced down your throat. And this is exactly what's being you know, done right now. It's being forced down your throat. I'm not against electric cars. I'm not against any kind of new technology. I think that's great. But it, it can't be forced down your throat. It has to happen organically. It has to happen by real laws of supply and demand. And there are no real laws of supply and demand. We have lots of Teslas out there. Wealthy people are buying Teslas. But guess what? The average person can't go out and buy a Tesla, and they certainly can't go out and buy a Tesla with $5 gasoline because that is a tax on the consumer. And 
honestly, I mean, this is, it has to be done on purpose because policy can't be this bad. I could solve this in 30 minutes and I'm nobody. I could solve it in 30 minutes. Anybody with a half a brain can solve this in 30 minutes. They just don't want to solve it. On the food front, I've been talking to farmers, including one farmer I'm working with on my property. And the word on the street amongst farmers is be prepared for higher food prices this fall after our harvest, because our input costs, diesel is absolutely through the roof. Fertilizers five times what it was last year. Seed has more than doubled. And labor, they can't find labor. So with all these factors, shipping, you know, what is what is diesel That's done to right. the shipping industry? We already had a trucking shortage. So the word is food is going up and anything related to food is going to go up in price. Would that be your take on it too? 100%. And we already see that. I mean, just go to the store now. Even here where I live in Florida, I mean, I'm seeing the shelves not even full. There are days where, you know, I went to Whole Foods and I always like to get their sliced turkey and their sliced roast beef. For two weeks, they didn't have any. I mean, we're starting to see it. And I know it's even worse in the Midwest. So again, Florida has a lot of ports, things come in here. Um, but if you're somewhere in the Midwest, you're already seeing shelves that are, are empty. Food prices are going to continue to climb. There's nothing being done that's constructive. Look at stocks like Valero. These stocks are making new all-time highs on the back of diesel fuel because there's a shortage of diesel fuel. So again, um, you know, I, I don't know how this will all play out. I have some ideas. But I have to agree with everything you said, and I, I don't see any real uh, any real turnaround for it. I, I think this is what we're up against. Now, you can you can come into maybe you know inflation backing off a little bit. I mean, but it, it, all you have to do is change policy. These guys will shift policy. This can all end rather quickly. Now, it's not going to turn around overnight, but it could turn around in two three months. But you know, there's no incentive for these people to do it. it. It's really, really mind-boggling. For the first time in my lifetime, I'm seeing nothing done that's constructive for this nation. So, Nick, when it comes to gold, you've talked on this show and you laid out your perspective that the move for gold is still ahead of us. You're bullish on gold long term, but in the nearer term, you're not as bullish as other people that I have on the show. Uh, what's your take on gold? Still the same. So, Right now, um, I was on another program not too long ago, Kerry Lutz, and I told him that 1785 would be a nice bottom for gold short term. And we got down there basically to the penny. And uh, you had a nice bounce, and gold is, is reacting pretty nicely. Um, but it's not taking off, it's not breaking out at the moment. And a lot of it has to do with the strong dollar, which probably will continue for a bit more. But I still think um, if gold takes out that 1785, we're going to go test 1500, maybe even pierce it a little bit. But that's going to be your opportunity. And I assure you, mark my words, when we get there, nobody's going to want gold. They're going to be all panicky. Oh, gold's going to go lower. Oh, they're going to be scared. But that's going to be your opportunity. And I think it's going to be your best opportunity that you've had since 1999. So that's what I've told people. I, I think when we did the program and I said, I expect one more sell-off and go. I've never received so many emails from people I don't even know. It was literally in the hundreds. And oh, I wow. just said, yeah, and I and I couldn't even answer them all, you know. So um I, I didn't know it was gonna get that big of a reaction, but you know, I still am in that camp. You take out that 1785, you got a nice little floor there. If that goes, and and it will go, 
it's just going to take some time because you have the Russian Ukraine war going on. You know, gold is kind of almost like a safety play. People want to own precious metals because they're losing faith in governments, right? So, you know, if, if you look and, and I always am in touch with my gold dealers and I say, hey, how long would it take me to get XYZ bullion here or so, you know, how many coins and, you know, things are a little backlog there. So, you know, there's, there's some demand for the physical metal and that's not going to stop. But I will give your audience one tip here. And I told it to my members too. Silver gets to 18. Load up all you can. And I don't mean, you know, the paper stuff like SLV. If you want to trade it like that too. But I mean, really take some real physical on any tag of 18 or, or slightly lower. That's your, your opportunity to really get into silver. Because a lot of people, um, you know, can't afford gold out there. And um, if, if this world keeps going the way it is, we're going to go to the barter system before you know it. And if people don't believe that, they're out of their minds. Because I have members of mine from Venezuela, and gold and silver really were, were the, uh, the commodities that helped them escape and fed their families. Um, so, uh, again, I, I know this sounds crazy. It sounds almost too bizarre. But this is the sign of the times that we're in. And you got to prepare yourself. So what would be the trigger that would send gold down through 1750 to 1500, a liquidity crisis? I mean, wh what do you yeah. see? You know, it, it's so I'm never good at the story. I'm never good at the soap opera. All I, I've ever done was really just map out the chart and I could see the where the money is flowing in, money is flowing out. You know, maybe the move down in gold is a manipulated move. Maybe they want to push it down there so that the central banks could get in cheaper. You know, that happens all the time with upgrades and downgrades. You ever see stocks that are beaten down to, you know, to a pulp and all of a sudden they get a downgrade. Why didn't that institution, you know, downgrade them when they were at the highs if they were so smart? But no, they downgrade them at the lows. They get the people scared. People sell off, sell the, the equity off, and then they pick it up. So maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But the chart, the chart's pointing to a move down to that 1500, 1450 area. And I, I think that's where, you know, if you, if you haven't, Bill, I've been in gold since 2003. So, and I should have got in in 1999, 2000. I was just a little bit hesitant because I was like, ah, you know, Buffett calls it a useless relic. You know, it's, you know, maybe I don't need it. I'm a little hesitant. But 2002, 2003, I was watching that chart. And I said, wow, this is a power trend that's beginning on a monthly, yearly chart. And, and gold ran up all the way to 2011 before it finally put in a bear market. So, you know, this is going to be your next opportunity because these, these cycles, these big gargantuan cycles, they don't end quickly. They end in, in big, big periods. And um, gold has not seen its, its brightest day yet. And it will come. And again, if, if you want to listen or not, or you want to track it, you know, I'm giving it to you out right now. I'm not telling anybody what to do, but I'll be a buyer again at uh, 1500 1450 Okay. So it's summer. As a trader, you've seen many summers, 35 summers or so you've been seeing the trading action. What are some tips for summer trading? Well, everybody is in that camp selling May and go away. Now, I'm not always in that camp. Right now, I think we have what we call a, a counter trend rally in the making. Um, May 20th was a short term low. So I think we'll have another rally and then we'll have another sell off. And that's the way this year is going to go. It's not going to be um, a year where you're going to have a defined easy trend. It's going to be choppy. It's going to be sloppy. 
I've been telling my members, take your Dramamine in the morning because it is going to be rough seas out here for the foreseeable future. And, and that's the way it is. I mean, you get big rallies one day and you're down big the next day. And you just got to expect that. And don't overload yourself in positions. You know, the worst thing you do is be in 9 million positions. Be in two, three. Good, good companies. Companies that make money. Don't look to pick up a SPAC that went from 400 to four. You know, those aren't going to be your plays in this environment. You want to pick up good, solid companies that make money. They're still going to make money. They have some demand, even in a bear market. And that's what you want to own in this kind of environment. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you have to adjust. If you're going outside, you're always looking at the weather. You're not going to go run outside if there's a, a, a rainstorm coming. You're going to bring an umbrella. You might even put on some galoshes. You know, that's what you have to do. You have to look at the weather. And right now, you know, it's pretty stormy out there. The seas are rough. So, you know, be prepared. That's not going to end anytime soon. Last question, Nick, uh, you have a trading service and a uh, option service. What are those up or down on the year? Yeah, we're up. We're up um, on the trading service. I think we're up about 20, 30% on the swings. On options, we're up 100 and something percent. We actually took a nice winner today. I had uh, Philip Morris on a put trade. I made over 30% in just a, a few days. And we got longs out there. We got puts, we got calls. And I, I in swing trading service, I got a couple of longs out there that are in the money. And again, you know, I'm not looking to um, be a, a, a hero here. I'm looking to survive this bear. I'm looking to trade around it, whether it's a, a long or a short. You just want to be savvy. You have to be a chart reader now. The bull market is over. It's going to make everybody look foolish at times. And that's just the way the markets are. And make sure you know where your stop loss is on every trade, because these are turbulent, turbulent times, not only in the market, but in history as well. If you want to learn more about what Nick does, head on over to inthemoneystocks.com. Nick, always appreciate your insight. None of my questions are scripted. You don't know anything I'm going to ask you. And I love how you answer just off the top of your head. So uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's always great to be back. And um, again, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. 
I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.